Why, hello there. How are you? I, for one, hope you are doing phenomenal. I'm your host, Jalen, and welcome to Retrospection Connection, where we take a more critical look back at TV and movies that left their mark on us in a formative moment of our lives. Allow me to serve as your guide as we take a look back at today's chosen piece of media. Recently, I had the pleasure of talking with my friend, Rumel, about one of the few shows to truly capture the strange liminal space between childhood and young adulthood, that show being Ned's Declassified School Survival Guide. Airing from 2004 to 2007 on Nickelodeon's Teen Nick Block, Ned's took a really unique, creative approach to capturing how it feels to be in between growing up. When the unadulterated naivete of being a kid begins to wither, slowly but surely, and the complex, sometimes contradictory puzzle pieces that come together to shape your life and experiences take hold. Things only seem to get more complicated as you get older, and I think the first time I can recall something like that was around middle school. Ned's Declassified acknowledged and confronted this reality in each of its episodes, affirming the kids that were coming to this same realization at the time. Now, it's likely that most of us haven't thought about this show in several years or given it the attention it deserves, and there's probably a few of us that have never heard of the show. Wherever you lie on the spectrum is fine with me. Either way, I'm just glad to have discussed this gem of a show with my friend, explored some of our favorite elements, and connected through what we learned and reconsidered upon rewatch. I hope you enjoy. Hello, it's good to have you here. So everyone, I'm joined by one of my good friends, Rumel Requerme, and he is here to talk about one of his favorite shows growing up. Uh, Rumel, do you want to tell us the show? Yeah, sure. Thanks for having me on. Um, I believe we're covering the classic Ned's Declassified School Survival Guide from Nickelodeon. Yes, the absolute classic, or at least I thought. You know, I actually spoke to a few friends this Mm -hmm. weekend and I was, you know, really excited about recording this episode with you. And I was telling them about the show we were going to be talking about. And I got less of the response than I was hoping for. I was hoping for excitedness or glee at the thought of talking about Nets to Classified because I look back at it so fondly. But they were kind of like, oh, and I was like, do you remember the show? And they were like, I think. And so I'm really interested in unpacking a little bit of the show with you and why it had such an impact on you, because it seems like maybe it didn't have the same effect on our generation as a whole, which makes me sad. But I do want to ask you, why Ned's Declassified? Why are we talking about this show in particular? In my friend group, a lot of them realize the potential Emmy worthiness of the show. So I'm very deeply surprised, to be quite honest. Uh, Why I chose this show? Well, my life is pretty chaotic, even to this day. I think as we get older, we realize how chaotic it is. And when I look back at all the shows I watch, like whether it be like Big Bang Theory, Modern Family, 
What else do I watch? Uh, you know, those those sitcoms. I'm a, I'm a sitcom person. Everybody hates Chris. Uh, they feel so insulated. Well, it just feels very adult. And when you said to reminisce on a show that proved as like some sort of foundational like material for me that was really, really like necessary. Um, I was thinking of like chaotic beginnings. I, I mean, I've again, I, I grew up chaotic, uh, more hyper than usual, the average kid. And uh, I think Nancy classified really classified itself uh, under, okay. yeah, under okay. that, in that bucket, I think. And yeah, again, yeah, it also makes me sad that people were not as excited that you're covering the show. But that's okay. That's completely fine. Because I think there is an audience for Ned's Declassified. And just like any show, there's not like a, you know, universal liking. So first of all, I think that was an excellent response. I think we're going to have a lot of fun talking about the show yeah. together. But there, there is something a little bit niche about this show that, that felt distinct, even when it was airing, and especially now looking back at it retrospectively. Mm hmm you know, in comparison to the host of other shows that came out around that time. So maybe yeah. that has something to do with uh, people looking back at it a little less fondly than we do. Let's see. Opening question. How would you describe your relationship to popular culture and media growing up? Do you feel like it's different now? What, what do you think shaped that understanding of what you were taking in? Uh, it is very different now, for sure. Thinking about my childhood and growing up, like whatever the media deems as a geek or a nerd, I've always kind of been that. I didn't always have glasses, so like I wasn't like, you know, the stereotypical kid with the glasses thrown in the trash bin, like in school. Um, when I was growing up, it was like before the media popularized all these geek culture things. Like mm -hmm. it's cool now to like Marvel shows and Marvel movies but when i would go to school with a comic book they're like what the hell is that and why is that book so thin so there was definitely a gap when i was growing up but luckily enough i was born into a family that really appreciated like geek culture i went to like every premiere of the lord of the rings movies because my parents love fantasy my other family supported like all the things I liked, like, you know, they would get me Spider-Man costumes. They would like remind me that they care about me by sending me like a bunch of uh, superhero stuff and like uh, try to invite me out to the movies whenever my parents were busy. Like, I remember distinctly seeing Batman Begins with my aunt because my parents were really busy and my cousin really liked it too because I just wouldn't stop talking about it. I grew up with them even before they hit the big screen and I would always tune into the cartoons. Yeah, I know this... You know, in this generation, their entertainment is like YouTube videos and all that good stuff. But in our generation, because we grew up with like mm -hmm. Nesley Classified, Degrassi, Drake and Josh. And like we have there's certain times in which we have to tune into these cartoons and DVR, which is, you know, the system just to explain to the listeners. Uh, mm -hmm. It's something that you just use to record uh, things just so that you don't miss them. The best we did, I remember, is that we just took old cassette tapes and we would like record like the TV shows and episodes on these VHS uh, cassettes. We the same thing, yeah. Yeah, and uh, sometimes you would record over your, you know, the tape of your birth or the the tape of a family vacation. Uh, but at least you yeah. have like episode seven of Everybody Hates Chris 
uh, it's ready to go. Time. That's what I'm saying. Yeah, yeah. But technologically speaking, there's no way to recover that. Um, so, but yeah, I think it's really different now. Um, it's cool. Like it's deemed cool to be liking these like geek culture things. Like it's so cool that you know Comic Con is is bigger than ever uh, mm -hmm. when it does happen. Uh, but back then it wasn't deemed as cool. Like it just, it just wasn't like going to someone's house. It meant like just playing basketball or just like prank calling people. Uh, cause yeah. we didn't have any YouTube. So, I mean, it's very interesting. I think younger people are getting more and more connected to media, the younger that they are. And I think that's a phenomenon that's evolving as, as the time goes on. But yeah. while I have you here, I'm, I'm curious to know. What do you think changed in terms of the representation of the geek or the nerd? Why do you feel like it's more acceptable now and why it shows up more in media than, than maybe it did when you were younger? Yeah. Uh, you know, we had the internet when I was growing up, I'm not that old, um, <laughs> but we didn't have like YouTube or we didn't have accessible video. That's what YouTube, the reason why YouTube is just groundbreaking in general is because you can watch scenes from your old TV shows. You can even watch shows on there now. Like you can even like have an e-reader, like you can read comics online. Um, and back then, like you had to go out of your way. You had to like drive to Barnes and Noble to get comic books. You had to like find underground comic book stores. In my case, uh, we had to go to Barnes and Noble for my comic books. It's not something that I could look up on the internet and like I could read it, you know, like we didn't digitize any of that yet. Um, I definitely, the increase in accessibility has helped with the popularization of pop culture or popular culture now. Um, yeah. Got it. Do you remember when you first started developing a critical consciousness for media, what you were consuming, where it started to click and feel different for you than just mindlessly absorbing things? Uh, <laughs> that's a really good question, actually. Um, uh, I think in, in college is when I started to really see the shift in the popular level of the things I liked. Like I did enjoy that I wasn't alone in, in reading a comic book anymore or like going to a premiere of like Spider-Man or whatever. But then like, you know, when you talk with some people and I'm just like, oh man, remember like, it's crazy how they included that in the movie because like there's a certain issue where like something similar really happens. Like they literally took the comic book version and just copied and pasted it. It's crazy how they did that, right? Like a great tribute to, uh, you know, and they're just like, what are you talking about? Uh, like that was that in the first movie? And then like, that's where their knowledge stops. And it kind of like really kills your spirit. You're like, oh shit. Like it, it's true. You're like, oh, you didn't get that Easter egg. You didn't get the allusion to this previous property that yes. isn't you know, addressed by name, but addressed in spirit. Uh, it, yes, I get what you mean. Yeah. And it's not like an, from a, coming from like a very narcissistic or a cocky place. Like, oh, you don't know that. It's more like, oh, it's kind of sad that like there is a deeper appreciation. And like you can tell that the writers did include that for this demographic that would appreciate it, you know, mm -hmm. and there will be people that don't get it. But it, it, there's long lines because people enjoy the lore. People enjoy it completely as a whole. Um, yeah. As opposed to just like the forward facing, uh, just face value of these movies existing. Well, I am excited to use some of this critical, critical thinking, that critical mind while we talk about Ned's Declassified, mm. thinking about it from the perspective that we have now. Sounds good.
Okay, so let's get a little bit of the boring stuff out of the way. Ned's Declassified first aired on September 12th, 2004. I want to run down the basic premise so we don't go all over the place. Let's orient the audience just in case maybe you guys haven't seen the show. Basic premise, throughout the series, Ned, who's the main character, builds up a number of tips for his survival guide and uses the tips to help himself and his classmates cope with the standard struggles of middle school. Each individual episode relates to a topic in the guide, such as popularity, grades, or sports, as well as developing other plots, such as Ned's love life, throughout. Look, I was a rerun baby. That's actually something that I really pride myself in, and it's a reason why I wanted to do this show, because there were several shows that like were around when i was alive but like sentient i wouldn't say so there were several shows that premiered <laughs> yeah, that's a word for it yeah sure you get what i mean where yeah, I was yeah, fully yeah conscious and um absorbing the material there were several shows in the late 90s early 2000s that i've since caught up on and i look back on fondly but people that are around my age and even your age maybe don't have that same appreciation or understanding of what those shows were yeah maybe that's why my friends responded in the way that they did it it just didn't (laughs) have the same cultural capital in their minds that it did for me during that time especially the early 2000s there was a huge boom in just the canvas of media of like what shows were there and stuff so so many shows so many shows that people appreciated happened in the early 2000s and the quality of it was so good, like to the point where you have these Gen Zers, millennials still thinking about those shows till this day. Right. That's so fascinating. And I, I'm interested to see what this next generation has to say about the properties that they grew up on, because yeah. I'm sure it's going to be a lot of the same things. It's something I'm really yeah. fascinated with is those cyclical patterns of, oh, my generation shows were the best <laughs> shows. These new shows on here don't have nothing. We're the new on. boomers. Yeah, yeah. Back in my day, I used to have to tune into Jackie Chan Adventures. Right. Now you just open up the Netflix. Exactly, right? It's... um. It's very cyclical. It's a pattern. But I I do feel, and this is truly bias showing on my end, but I I do feel that there was something special about shows like Ned's Declassified, my personal favorite uh, kid show from that time, That's a Raven. Oh, right. Yeah. yeah, So that was like, I'm going to tune in. I don't care how old I am. So this show aired on Nickelodeon. What do you remember about the network at that time? Do you feel like this show fit in and it was one of many? Like, how would you describe the network and Ned's Declassified's place on that network? So Nickelodeon is, it's interesting. It's multifaceted, just like Shrek says, it has many layers to it. Um, depending on, yeah, exactly. Depending on what channel, what time you watch it, Nickelodeon can morph into something different. So like early on in the day, Nickelodeon's not Nickelodeon. It's Nick Jr. Certain channels have teen Nick. That's not, I think that's a separate channel itself. And then late at night is Nick at night, right? So Nickelodeon is like the midday, right? Like when kids come back from like, not work, sorry. Kids, yeah, (laughs) working working in the coal mines, you know, or they're done in the factories. They come in and watch the Desi Classified. Um, (laughs) So 
Get some tips for the factory. Um, Nickelodeon is catered for sure to like that those those kids, right? Like they know the audience and which watches that time. So just again to give like a brief understanding of the differentiation between these three forms or four, right? Nick Jr., Teen Nick, Nickelodeon, and then Nick at Night. So it's four. Yes. Mm -hmm. So Nick Jr., you would have like the typical like Max and Ruby. Uh, you also have Dora the Explorer during Nick Jr. Yeah, but a lot more learning oriented, right? Exactly, right, right. And, uh, you know, especially if you're three years old around Nestle Classified coming out, that's typically the demographic they're going for. Uh, so Nickelodeon is the up next, of course, uh, or depending on concurrently Teen Nick. Teen Nick is like Degrassi, like all these things that I don't typically really know because I didn't really tune into Teen Nick. So that's why I'm hypothesizing that it was on a separate channel because I, I, I never really encountered it as much. Yeah. So it, um, it there was sometimes a block on Nickelodeon that would be called Teen Nick or before it was called the N and then eventually that got its own channel. So you okay. are correct. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Yeah. Because sorry to break your heart, especially the audiences. I've never seen an episode of Degrassi other than little clips that you've shown me. Uh, and that's because of, hey, blame the cable provider and Nickelodeon for making it a separate channel. Because if I... If I was staying on that channel, the Nickelodeon channel, then I would have hit it at one point, but I didn't. So unfortunately, uh, it was not as accessible as it should have been. Okay. Look, so, for the record, <laughs> audience, Degrassi is probably my favorite show from growing up and yeah. from childhood to teenhood to even now, arguably, it's one of my favorite shows. So that's why he's jabbing. Bag yeah, bagging on it. Yeah. yeah. But continue. Of course. Nick Jr., you have Dora the Explorer. Nickelodeon, you have like Drake and Josh, Nesdy Classified. Around the time that I was kind of going into it, you have like Fairly Odd Parents, even like just talking about mm -hmm. cartoons. Avatar The Last Airbender, just, just to kind Classic. of cater to that audience, that's Nickelodeon. Uh, next up is Teen Nick. Of course, you have Degrassi, you have all that stuff. And then moving forward to the last phase, which is Nick at Night. And they spelled Night with N I T E, which is still problematic in my head till this day. It's, it's of cooler. course. It's cooler, I guess. Admit, it's cooler. But Nick and Knight sounds very like, mm, you know, like risque. You know, like it just sounds like some sort of channel you shouldn't be on at that time. I guess that's what they were going for. And of course, during that time, you would have like things like George Lopez. You would have um, trying to think of different shows. I think sometimes they would have the like, nanny. The nanny, uh, yeah. Friend. Friends would be on there. Yeah, correct. Yeah. Yeah. It was trying to get at the audience that was maybe watching nickelodeon with their kids yeah they didn't want to but we're watching it and they but were naturally like, hey, the kids were not shows. interested yeah certainly not i mean and it was their bedtime anyway so it was more <laughs> about getting that last audience to keep the ratings at a decent level over yeah. the night time which is brilliant it's a, the diversity like thinking about dem different demographics at different times of the day like we were just talking about extremely genius around that time of cable television yeah. And I think some like Cartoon Network adopted it. Like they halved mm -hmm. it with Toonami. Toonami was at the very end of the day where all the anime was, but Cartoon Network was like reserved for uh, Johnny Bravo, De Dexter's Laboratory, Code, K Code Name Kids Next Door, and stuff like that. Yeah. Uh, and don't Chowder. forget Adult Swim. Adult Swim was yeah. You're right. You're right. Exactly. Adult Swim was was tied to uh, Cartoon Network. Uh, but I think they just recently announced their their retiring Cartoon Network. So I think I heard that after yeah. like 30 years or so. It's, yeah, wow. it's really sad. But rest in power, Cartoon Network, rest in power. Um, now, something I was trying to glean from you is 
so we think about Ned's Declassified, and we'll get into some of the particulars of the show, like the characters, things that stuck yeah. with you, etc. But from what you remember, do you feel like that show fits snugly into the, you know, just general Nickelodeon programming block at that time? What else was going on around that time on the network? What do you, you know, what do you remember? Yeah, I think it did not. Yeah, I think uh, I saw someone write an article about it, about like just the flow of Nickelodeon at that time. So just to give a brief explanation is that Nickelodeon was known as a cartoon channel, right? Like we had Fairly Odd Parents, we had Avatar The Last Airbender, Jimmy Neutron, right? Like these are really big cartoons. SpongeBob. That, SpongeBob, excuse me. Yeah, like uh, Nickelodeon was known to be that. And they kind of realized maybe in 1999 that they need to branch out to like teens, right? Mm -hmm. So they started promoting, um, I think the the very first show that I recall that they really believed in to be fitting into the Nickelodeon slot, even though it felt like not really right, was the Amanda show. Amanda show was the very first come up that I, I kind of like shook my world because like you would watch, like you said, SpongeBob. And then next thing you know, you're watching like Dancing Lobsters in a Judge, uh, in a Judge Amanda segment. And it was great. And um even with that, like compounded with all that, right? Like the Saturday Night Live catered to teens really shook me because I was just like, this is hilarious. And it was the first time that you see, which we're going to mention maybe later in the podcast, that we have these normal people adopting such cartoonish personas, right? And that was such a brilliant approach because like in sitcoms, you see like people like kind of riff off each other, like in a way, like a really funny way. But it just felt like it's not as appealing as if you watch something from the Amanda show where it has that cartoony nature to it. And yeah. like we were talking about, Nesty Classified doesn't feel like it fits there, like in that, um, in Nickelodeon in general, because Nickelodeon's a cartoon, like just realm. But the thing with Nesty Classified, it really helped it segue into it perfectly is that it did start to use and adopt those behaviors that Amanda show had which is like extremely over exaggeration of comedy and that's what like kids wanted they didn't want like realistic shows of like you know parents fighting and yes the lesson's great but that's just basically home like it just reminds them of just you know there has to be a sense of escapism for kids and teens or right around that time that ripe age and i think the amanda show and nessie classified were really perfect for that but yeah it definitely didn't fit nessie classified was such a diamond in the rough i think just really strange I, I get where you're coming from with that. I feel like Ned's Declassified was a bit of a bridge between some of the more cartoon-based programming that Nickelodeon offered at that time. Yeah. And then looking at something like Drake and Josh, Zoe 101, later on they had iCarly that came on about yeah, a year or two after that, um, that, that felt aspirational in terms of you know wanting to grow up and wanting to get to that next phase not that ned's declassified didn't but ned's felt like it embraced that midway point you know yeah. we're getting older but we're not there yet and yeah. it was exemplified through like you were saying those cartoonish elements the characters were a little bit more zany and allowed to play up their quirks because they all had to be different right as well as the visual gags and all the things that we can maybe get into later on yeah. i also feel like nits to classified was different uh, especially for the time because you think about 
the shows that were being shown on Nickelodeon and even Disney Channel at that time, a lot of them were tra- traditional multicam sitcoms that had the laugh track and yeah. a lot of them were focused on like having some sort of secret. There was like a, a sensational aspect of the show mm-hmm. to get the viewers tuned in, some sort of catch, something um, that felt novel about the concept. You know, I'm right. a secret pop star. I'm a secret sidekick. Yeah. Uh, you know, we're twins separated at birth. Don't ask me what show that was. I can't remember. Just thinking of interesting plots that were around that time. Whereas Ned, it was like a slice of life show that tried to give very down to earth tips shown mm-hmm. in comical, crazy ways, but ultimately very yeah. down to earth um, tips for people that were around that age. So like 11 to 13 at the time. I think that kind of supplements your question too. Like your question was, what age did you start thinking critically about things? Um, Mm -hmm. Because thinking critically really like that comes with time. And like, I think Ned's Declassified, the reason why it stands out to me is because it promotes that kind of thinking. Like the, the tips that he's giving you, like that's not just something that he just like sits on the toilet and thinks about. Like he's fully experiencing these things and he's like, he's telling you straight up to your face, like what he's taking note of. One of the most notable tips I can think of is like uh, something regarding like bathrooms. This is like, oh, if you if you like have a very small bladder and you really need to use the restroom, make sure that you sit next to the door just so you don't have to run across the class and like disrupt it that much. And like you just have a quick getaway. I think it's even from the first episode from what I recently watched. But um, it's just like things that like, you know, if you're like a fifth grader, you wouldn't really think about, right? Like you'd be extremely smart and really uh, tactical and practical for thinking about that. But yeah, I think the critical thinking was really what our promotion of the critical thing. It was the one that really highlights it for me. Yeah, that's a good point. I actually really liked, you know, on my rewatch of a few of the episodes of the show. Yeah. I thought it was really cool that from the first episode, the students, his friends, Ned's friends, they really trust him. Yeah. It, it's cool. It's like even as a seventh grader, he's up to that point at least built up a really good rapport with everyone and people want tips from him and Mm -hmm. he's actually really responsible with that Mm -hmm. authority that's kind of given to him and i i thought that that was a really interesting element of the show that he's taken up this helm of being a trustworthy figure in their lives and he he takes it seriously every Mm -hmm. episode which i thought was dope So I want to ask you, what was your middle school experience like? Do you feel like a lot of it felt similar to Ned's Declassified? Was it different? Do you feel like you learned anything? You took any tips from the show into your real middle school experience? I think it was very different. I don't think the relatability overall was the draw of the show for me. Um, I think the over-exaggeration of the comical things that happen in day-to-day life was because, you know, the show, like they have lockers and they have all these things and they're doing all these like things that you wouldn't typically see at a middle school, you know, like for instance, a science teacher holding like a speedometer and just like, just tracking people's speed in the hallways in which they're running the class. And, um, so the comedy was a real draw for me, but no, it was very different like in terms of just like the structure of the school itself. Like in, um, mine was completely outdoors in both regards. We only had lockers when it came to gym time. So like we didn't have like these very big 
breaks in the middle of classes where we can talk with our friends and go to our lockers and stuff. Um, so there's no like home away from home because again, uh, it is supposed to be over exaggerated and also like a stereotypical like school. Uh, but I think, you know, our generation's like, we never had lockers. Well, it's because, you know, with like the things that people can potentially hide and with the, the mm -hmm. rising of those cases in the nineties, like they just took them out or decided to, um, yeah, I was so jealous of people that had lockers. I, I wanted one so badly. Yeah, it's so it's rare. So cute. You, in between it's... classes, you're just putting in your little combo <laughs> and you're, you're getting your notebook out. Yeah, yeah. I, you're I, home, home, from, home away from home. And it would have been really helpful rather than carrying the textbooks around. But, you know, I guess the school system really wanted us to suffer for the sake of not hiding anything unnecessary mm. uh, in those lockers. But yeah, it was very different from my middle school for sure. So let's get into the nitty gritty of the show. I know you've been sure. sort of doing your retrospective moment and looking back at some of the episodes. Ned's Declassified is available on Netflix for anybody that's wanting to look back or maybe look at it for the first time. Um, but you've been watching some of the earlier episodes. If you can recall, what stood out to you the first time you were watching it in terms of characters, large themes? Um. For me, the main draw when I was a kid is the chaos of the show. Like you said, right. like situational comedy is very insulated. They have multi cameras. Like there is a storyline that you follow. I think Nancy Classified really, uh, because of just how the flow was so everywhere. Like, like it wasn't a mul typical multi camera shot with like a live audience. Uh, no laugh track actually, which is really surprising. It literally has a soundtrack for everything except laughing. If you like really watch yeah. it and you notice exactly. that, I really that's what I realized that when I watched it again is like I really thought there was a laugh track, and I was like, oh my god, there's really no laugh track in this one. It was just me laughing the entire time. And right, right, yeah. I, when I was watching it, it kind of reminded me of like even Stevens' Phil of the Future. Yes, not necessarily in terms of the premise, but the use of the sound and how yeah. that added texture to the show because i swear just about every 0.5 seconds there was some sort of sound gag <laughs> that added to the space of the show yeah and they also had like really popular r&b hip-hop songs in the background for like little snippets like they had like nelly songs like in the background and i didn't realize that until like i saw the subtitle I, well i watch netflix with subtitles because of my mom but um, yeah, it was like something, something by Nelly. And I was like, what the, they had Nelly, they had Whoa. a snippet of Nelly song on here. And it was like for three seconds. I was like, oh my gosh, just imagine how much they have to pay Nelly for that three seconds. Now that's that good licensing money. Uh, yeah. we do not have that here at Retrospection Connection. So please <laughs> yet. do not expect it for a good while yet. Yeah. But give it, yes. give it a month or two. Yeah. I think it really served, like, I really enjoy you know, like I said, growing up, my parents really like fantasy. Um, and I wouldn't say I had like the kindest upbringing. Like, so like I said, like, kids really appreciate the escapism of shows. That's what really helps them cope with certain things. Even till this day, that's still applicable that that certain escapism and it's kind of bled over to adulthood a little bit. But like we said, some TV shows are really great, like it teaches great lessons. But sometimes the situations in situational comedies can really be palpable and like, you know, using a modern word triggering, like for some reason for me, like if I watch That's So Raven, there are some episodes that really hit home for me that like I just really can't finish because I'm just like, oh my God, that actually happened in my house. 
uh, you know, like an argument that I had with my mom or my dad, Hannah Montana too, sometimes like there was some, there was some lessons in there that I appreciated them including, but it was really still at that time, really touchy. Uh, mm -hmm. But Nessie Classified was extremely different. Like it was, it was disguised as an educational show, but it right. still held that chaos. And it did have a lesson at the end of each, if not multiple lessons. But what really made it stand out and yeah. made it even more appealing, like it had two plot lines per episode. So like it would be like maybe yeah. 15 minutes of one and then 15 minutes of another one. So you have that twofer, which not many shows did yeah. anymore. Only cartoons which did that. Exactly. That's exactly yeah. what I was going to mention. More relationships to the traditional cartoons that were showing up on Nickelodeon at the time, yeah. which made it feel very unique as a live action show. It was very mm -hmm. different from some of the other stuff that they had going on at the time. But I like what you said about the escapism bit. I think we all could have used an, an escape when we were in middle school. And I like the format of the show being set in a very, frankly, boring nondescript middle school but it was spiced up with the imagination of all yeah. of the kids there and in the lively world that was created just through the character dynamics yeah. um it's crazy teachers which, gross school lunches gross school lunches there was That's one me. that was moving and the theme song Is yeah that you you're the gross school lunch hi nice to meet you well no i'm the crazy teacher but yeah oh which we will get to. Sure. Do, do not worry. <laughs> um, speaking of characters, though, yeah. something that really stood out to me when I was watching it again is just how many characters there are. Um, and yes. I thought, like, initially when I was watching, I was thinking this would get really overwhelming for a kid. And, you know, I'm not a kid anymore, so I, I don't know how I interpreted it when I was younger. But watching it as an adult, it was actually really refreshing how even in the first episode, they were introducing all of these kids around the school, not all of which were yeah. main characters. A lot of were recurring, mm -hmm. um, some of which I don't even know all of their names, yeah. but it all sort of fell into place in a really nice way. The world felt very lived in and mm -hmm. the characters felt very fleshed out, even if they were pretty archetypal. You know, the yeah. jock, the bully, the idiot, uh, the smart, nerdy girl, <laughs> yeah. uh, the, the athlete, you know, very standard archetype characters. But nonetheless, it felt like there was enough nuance to keep the show going and to make every character feel like they were meant to be there. Um, yeah. Do you did you have a favorite character or, you know, your general thoughts about the characters in the show? Well, mine's a unsung hero, Coconut Head, for sure. I really enjoy, even though that the whole show itself is in itself just a comedy. Uh, I think I don't know how to label Coconut Head. Like he's like the co like comic relief of a comedy. Like every time he enters the room, like he just is the cherry on top of the scene. Mm -hmm. So I think Coconut Head, just based on the inconsistency of his presence in the show and just like when he shows up it really matters and it really has an impact on the comedy i think mm -hmm. it's really profound and i think i appreciated that like just having that person that's just a one-liner or just like a yeah. random character running in the background from the bully like i think it's brilliant um yeah but that's really what was so fascinating about the show and my rewatch was like really 
a lot of the characters that were recurring were kind of like a coconut head. They would come sometimes, yeah. you know, when the situation called for it, they would come and sit at the lunch table with Ned, uh, Mose, and Cookie. Cookie and Mose are two of the other main characters. But when the scene needed it, maybe Coconut Head was sitting next to them. Maybe Lisa Zemo, the nerdy girl, was sitting next to them. And it, yeah, it just goes back to my point about the world feeling very comfortable and mm -hmm. like from the first episode it felt like all the characters were at home there on yeah. the show it's like a real middle um, school yeah yeah do you have any like character recollections that have stuck with you to this day like it, uh, scenes that you remember or anything like that scenes well in terms of characters for sure seth the basketball jack that like you said they really like take these caricatures and like uh, stereotypes and roll with them like so they had like you know like a dumb jock and like he would just never stop spinning the basketball it would just like magically keep spinning as he's talking to i think that's really really notable um i think i told you this before but the choir teacher who had a beard all over his uh his head so he had like a huge yes. beard. Like if you were to oh brush God, it out, beard. it would touch. Yeah, it would touch the floor. But instead of doing that, he just like rolls it around. He like just rolls his head like a taquito. And like he would like lick it and you just <laughs> go like that. Just so weird, right? Like, and I can keep going on and on. I think every character is distinctly, like you said, they pro like they did such a brilliant job at like an Avengers level cast. Like the amount of mm -hmm. people they had. And just balancing them out in a proper way that would still like cater to their character. And even if you right. didn't like they didn't develop as much as you wanted them to, like they still serve the story in some sort of way, whether it be like acting out like a, a tip that Ned's giving. And like that's what the creators realize that like it doesn't always have to be Cookie, Ned, or like Jennifer Mosley acting out these tips. Like we want to see different people doing them, and they really knew that, and that's what they did. Like sometimes you'll even see uh, like their best friend, which is the janitor Gordy, like pr do a tip, right? Uh, even yeah, though he's like Gordy. chasing a weasel for most of the show, but you know, I think there's so many scenes that I can remember and it's because the way that, like we said, the show is structured, the show is so short, right? There's two shows in one episode, basically. But the reason why all these storylines and scenes like really jump out at me is because the way that they're segmented. Like you said, like the most random things can happen. Like they'll just pop in and do something. And even though it'll be like completely random, it will like feed the story going forward. That's how like SNL, all that, even like Good Burger was like structured. Like these random moments would occur, like just so out of pocket, but then like it would like move the story forward. And right. one thing I remember from Nezzy Classified was like, um, I think that Ned was trying to switch lockers with someone because he was lock had a locker next to someone who kept like profusely farting in his face i think the show just revolved around having a locker which is really unfortunate for us for that didn't have lockers so yeah, right. you know by the end of it he found one but like all of a sudden like he found this like uh you know i think her name was like natalie sawyer future lawyer that's literally how she would introduce herself and she would have this yeah. documentation about like the locker room switch and that was like the only time she appeared in the episode, which is like that good two minutes in which they're going over, uh, you know, going over these documents. And like then, like we were just saying, like all these random plot points moves the the development of certain characters forward and the story forward. All of a sudden, we realize that like Gordy, the janitor, went to law school like three times, and he even like questioned the documentation really quickly. 
and they like fixed it. So now you know more about Gordy. Now you know that there's another character in place that like we know is going to be there whenever like a legal issue or like a pseudo legal issue comes up. Uh, but like she's also very interesting. Be like has this little like snippet sound, like a lawyer sound whenever she comes in. She's like Natalie Sawyer, mm-hmm. future lawyer. He's like my he's like, my client did this something like that. And that whole legal documentation helped Ned fix the locker issue and now we know that gordy was you know you know a semi-lawyer like he he went to law school like three times uh yeah so yeah all these random things this chaos has an order to it and i think that's what's so appealing to the show i really like that there was all of these little random gags that you think are maybe only there for that moment and some of them are but a lot of them carry over and continue throughout the duration of the show um, now, while we're on the topic of a character like Gordy, not that this was the first show to ever feature both kid actors as well as adult actors and, yeah. you know, younger characters and older characters. But that's something I really liked about this show is the way that they featured their older cast members, not on the same level as a Ned, a Moe's, a Cookie, but they were featured pretty heavily. Yeah. I, uh, do you want to speak on that at all? Yeah. So jumping off of that, uh, like teachers and, and the adults of the show, they also had like a kid-like persona. There was like uh, the science teacher having like a, you know, a speed gun just to check how fast people were walking in the hallways. And because he's a science teacher, he would have that kind of technology, right? You would also have like the hardcore uh, lumberjack, uh, w- you know, wood shop teacher who would just like who banged his hand with a hammer just to prove to his students that he's like hardcore. And, uh, but you were mentioning is that they received equal spotlight, even though it's not on the same level as like Ned talking to the camera. Because if you think about it, Ned's like the only one like has those talking head moments. Like no one else on the show has that. There are some sh- like episodes of the show in which they are the main character, right? Like whether it be like a relational development of the principal with like Cookie or like with Moe's, like, like it humanizes them in a way. So mm-hmm. I think it really, I think it really helped me in that way. Now that I talk about it, like just navigating how to converse with adults in a proper way. It also made it really easy because we see them as really scary people that know everything. And if like one slip of the tongue, they're going to correct us. But like when you see Ned talking with Gordy, like they're talking like best friends, like they're not seeing their age. They're just seeing, they're just trying to help each other out. Right. And like, that's literally what all the teachers, spoiler warning, when you reach the end of the show, you realize all the teachers have that same heart. Like they're all trying to help their students be better. And although they have very different approaches, they're humanized and the the writers and the creators of the show, they wanted to do that. And they did it, I think, really spectacularly. Like they, they really not only gave the spotlight to three main characters because the theme song is like Ned Bigby, that's me with my two best friends. We try to do the impossible, but then like, you're introduced with like Lisa Zemo, like, Natalie Sawyer, future lawyer, Mr. Sweeney, like all these random people. You see a very different side of these, these different supporting characters, but they end up being like the main characters of certain stories. So I think that's brilliant. Yeah. I, I really liked what you said about um, the adult characters and the care the attention that was given to them as well, which is rare for a a show aimed at kids, right? Mm -hmm. I think that's one of my major takeaways from the show too. Um, And it's crucial for, I think, for kids that are at that age, 10 to 13 or so, to start to view adults in a different light. 
Yeah. Um, obviously, we all have different relationships to adults growing up. But middle school is really that age where you start to realize that, yeah, maybe adults are, are adversaries in some ways, but they also can be a source of support and yeah. understanding. And, and they also have their they flaws. Can, exactly. They yeah. they play very nuanced roles in our lives when we're growing up. And middle school is that time where you're starting to realize just how complicated it's got to be for adults um, as you're coming into young adulthood yourself. So I really liked um, the way that the adult characters fit into that. So like on the topic of major takeaways, themes, concepts that, that really drilled themselves into your head when you were watching this particular show, what stuck with you? Um, what are you carrying with you now and like themes that you live with now? It's a good question. I think the show itself really caters to one lesson, which is that life is chaotic. It's really out of your control. And that's, you know, that's the point of situational comedy because there has to be a situation. But I think Nedzi Classified really amps it up and really makes the situation as chaotic as they can. But by the end of each episode, we learn a lesson that no matter what happens in that chaos, if you go through it, because there's really no going around it, whether it be, you know, not being in the same class as your best friend, as you planned, or like, you know, not receiving the grade that you expected and having some, you know, you have to go through it in order to learn something. And by the end of it, you're going to be a better person than when you first started even in the show, things are like flying off the walls and there's like papers flying and like just people being pushed by bullies and, you know, basketball's being spun by jocks and it's a scary world out there. But at the end of each episode, they converge back into, you know, their best friend trio and they learn so much. And like, you can see in their faces that they really learn something from even the smallest things. I think one episode that's really executed so well was that there was like a locker war of who had like the most beautiful locker. One had like a boy band like kind of theme. And then the other one had like, like heaven was like projecting through the locker, right? Yes, there was, it was a lot. I just watched that episode. There was a series of mirrors in the locker. That yeah, it all broke. Kind of really break. <laughs> yeah. And then somebody crashed into it. It broke. It was a whole thing. But right. You're right. And it, it catered to like the theme of fitting in, right? Like the, the need, this weird pull to fit in uh, or up your popularity even, right? I think the premise was like one of the characters really wanted to find like a girlfriend group because, you know, oh, well, it was Moe's, right? And she's always with Ned and Cookie with the other two main characters. And she wanted like girls to talk to, which is fine, right? Like that's what everyone goes through that. Like everyone is like, hey, I need to branch out a bit. And she, you know, utilized creating the best locker in the whole school. And, you know, that one you just referred to the heaven, the heaven locker that we you know ended up yeah, being broken yeah. wasn't the one that was the solution. It was like, she created a locker that fit her personality. And like, naturally people gravitated to her They're like, Oh, that's a really nice locker. Like it was, a, it, I think at the end of it, cause she joined woodshop, like it just became like a wooden locker. And then like, like two random girls were like, Oh my God, like you like, you like dogwood too, or something like that. The lesson being, even though it's like about lockers, like the, the theme of lockers was the vehicle for that. Like the main theme, the destination was that you just have to do you, you just have to be who you are. And like, and like you, even though it's, it's going to be a really hard problem to solve, as long as you're trying and like trying different things, a trial and error, 
like things will work out. And that's like, that is the lesson of every episode. That is the yeah. lesson that they want to insert and inject in every piece of that show. And um, I think that really, really impacted me as a kid. Because you don't really think about that when you're watching as a kid. But then when you look back at it, you realize that even though amidst all the chaos, there's only one theme. And it's just that everything will be okay. Right. And I, I think what you're getting at and what you were getting at with what you were saying is life from middle school on is really making the most of the cards that you're dealt and taking stock of what your options are. And they're not always going to be good, but taking those options in stride and doing the most with those. Mm -hmm. And I like that the, each episode for the most part ended with, you know, things didn't go the way that I thought they were going to, or the way that I tried to will them into going, but it actually ended the way that I needed them to, because now I'm able to appreciate the way that things are rather than yearning for things to be something else. And dude, as an adult, fresh out of college, trying to make a way, that is a lesson that needed to be reinforced in my life. Cause a lot of things are not going the way that I maybe pictured them to go uh, when I was in college or even in high school and earlier, but things have been good. Things have been okay, and they've they've found a way to fall into place. I couldn't have predicted it, um, but I'm happy that I I stuck with the cards that I was dealt. And I maybe owe a little bit of that then to Ned's Declassified for teaching me that years ago. Nice. Me too. Aw, so sweet. All right. So a final question to wrap us up. More generally speaking, it doesn't have to be in the context of this show, but what is a lesson, a parable, a few words? What is something that you would say to the version of you that was watching this show the first time on? What would I tell my past self? The version of you that was watching this, the seven, eight-year-old. It's okay to laugh amidst the chaos that you're going to experience. I like that. Thanks. And let's laugh because we need <laughs> it's crazy right now. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> well, thank you so much, Rumel, for, for joining me. Um, Rumel has been an, an amazing help in, in developing this podcast and helping me find my own voice and, and exercising that. You so, did it all yourself, man. Well, I don't know what you're talking about. <laughs> thank you. Thank you. But seriously, you've been amazing. And so I I hope to have you on many more times. I really appreciate your time. And thanks for uh, inviting me on your podcast. This means a lot. It was a pleasure. All right, man. Have a good day. Catch you later.